Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. And the podcast is also brought to you by OnX Maps. And with OnX Maps, you can know where you stand with the most accurate hunting GPS tech on the market with land ownership maps that work offline. Go to onxmaps.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 20% when you sign up for an app membership at onxmaps.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. We're also proud to partner with Sitka Gear, and if you go to sitkagear.com, you'll see their full line of clothing, and their tagline is turning clothing into gear, and they are doing that through advanced technology that allows you to stay in the field longer, hunt harder, and stay safer. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. Um, the, the insider is changing how haunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. And with that, Corey... We are ready to get into it. All right, it's recording. It's recording. Okay. We, we had to look at that, folks. I have a tendency to double punch the button here, and then we <laughs> carry on for a half hour, and Corey says, hey, Randy, you forgot to turn the recorder on. Yeah, and we lose all of the podcast gold. Yeah. 
You just can't replicate it. We, we, have an, we have an important podcast today, so I wanted to make sure record was hit from the yeah, beginning. Yeah, this, this is the one I've been looking forward to. These guys, if, if we were videoing this one, I've got note paper and everything, <laughs> pens. I am ready. I'm taking it's notes It's the first here. time I've ever seen you take notes. I know. <clears throat> well, <laughs> when you see what notes look like from me, it's you're probably, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cryptic. So yeah. it'll be face draws and yeah, you know, little stick, stick figures and yeah. stuff before yeah. too long. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be like, they make it sound really easy. You just draw a stick figure of a guy shooting an elk with a big tree and a bunch of brush. <laughs> <laughs> if that's how easy it is. Yeah. Well, that's Roosevelt hunting, yeah. right? Pretty much. Draw, draw a lot of trees. Is that what we're talking about yeah. today? You promised me we're talking about. We brought two of the Roosevelt elk hunting experts. I, in, I was in, not in expert. America, in North America. In the world. In the world. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So we've got... Maybe Corey one and a Ford, half. One and a half. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll let, we'll let the listeners judge. We've got Corey Ford yep. and Shannon Mobs from, what do we say, Angry Spike Productions? Yep. Is that yeah. where you're from? Yeah. That's, well, sure. That's the that's Roosevelt what, elk hunting. That's how we spread the word or how we uh, share yeah. what we enjoy to do, yeah. Excellent. Well, we're excited. I had my first opportunity to hunt Roosevelt elk last year, and uh, we were unsuccessful. Yeah. But we... Uh, Got a little taste of it. We're excited to be back. And I know Randy, we were just talking. He's, uh, it's on his, high on his bucket list. So. Yeah. In fact, I, I was, last night I was telling Corey, man, I got an invite to go hunt Rosie's in late August. And he's like, oh, don't go in late August. <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah. No, that's, uh, I've got all kinds of questions for, for that kind right. of stuff. And I promised him, I said, well, I won't jab myself in the calf with a broadhead. Mm. So I, I'll, yeah, I'll if, have, if anybody's <laughs> willing to fall on a broadhead... <laughs> We will take him hunting with us because that is YouTube gold. Oh, yeah, that's, that, that, that goes bad. viral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was surprised the lengths that Dave went through to <laughs> to, to make to, a name for yes. himself. Well, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Yesterday he was here and I talked to him and he's like, you know, I was with Sitka for however long he was there for thirteen years or something, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to get you know this music thing going. I've been just working hours and hours. And I fall on a broadhead, and I get more fame in 30 seconds than I got in 20 years of hard work. Yep. Uh, yeah. we're, we're speaking of our good friend, David Brinker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the lengths that some people will go through. Yeah. Just Crazy. to be famous on YouTube. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Insta-famous. Yeah. So, uh, is this like Roosevelt Elk 101? Because, Corey, you're like Elk 101. Yeah, so that, that's where I'm lacking. I mean, I and, and honestly, that's my goal. Randy and I talked last night. I want to hunt elk in every western state, right. and I want to hunt all the species of elk, just so I can at least somewhat intelligently speak from experience, not just from listening to guys on a podcast. Right. But I think uh, from the experience I had last year, it was just a taste. I am by no means an experienced Roosevelt elk hunter now. I've never killed one, but it it's whetted the appetite. Yeah. So I'm excited. Beautiful to, country, yeah. <laughs> all, all 60 feet that you can see at a time is very beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So for for someone like me who's only hunted uh, Rockies, what's the other than the fact that when I'm over in your part of the world, you guys are based kind of in the general Portland, Vancouver area, yeah, correct? Right? <clears throat> other than the fact that, as Corey said, you can't see more than about 30 feet. Uh, what as, as someone who's never hunted Roosevelt's, what's going to surprise me about their behaviors or what they do? Anything? Uh, very territorial. Oh, really? They don't travel a lot. Like yeah. when yeah. you say don't travel a lot, like a whitetail, like a home range of a mile by a mile? Uh, or? You know, I'd say a canyon. Yeah. A canyon? Yeah, they rarely yeah. go out. During September, those elk are, uh, they just don't travel much. So uh, when that bull has his harem, 
uh, they're pretty locked down, which is what you do to, to end up killing them. So what we do is we find as many as we can. So you do that by rubs. You do that by whatever sign you can find. Uh-huh. And we log that. And then we go visit those elk periodically throughout the season. And on one day during that season, that bull in that canyon will be ready to go. So, so when you say you do just, log that area, you don't mean you go in with chainsaws yeah. and make it well, so you can actually walk <laughs> through it. Right if I could see that, I'm coming hunting with you guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you're logging an area, that's a area to hunt. Well, so, the reason, the reason yeah. that Corey said that is before he turned on the mic, we found out that these guys come from a logging yeah. background, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. just sure. like Corey and I do. So. Yep. Okay, not, not logging. You log it, it in a book. Log it in a book. Log it, note it in my mind, yeah. or you know, however you do it. Yeah, but, but that's uh, that's pretty much. I'd say the trick to what we do is we cover tons of ground every day, but we're going to what we ideally later on in the season we're going to a bull. We're not wasting time. Hmm. So you take inventory and then exactly go and check the inventory exactly. out. Exactly. And while exactly. we're taking inventory, we'll check those bulls. You find a rub bugle. If he's hot that day, there's no reason to leave and go look right, for other bulls. Right. I mean, we'll we'll hunt him right then. And you know, because they have such a small territory that they're in there. If yeah. he doesn't answer, he's just not ready because he's not. He's, he's not there. Yet. He's just not or talking. just or just can't hear us because where he was rubbing, where we find him, he could just be around Ridge. And I mean, you know, if in that country your bugle doesn't travel as far as it does if you're hunting yeah. Idaho or Wyoming or something. So trying to get them to hear you is a different story, or be close enough to generate a reaction out of yeah. them yeah so they'll they'll respond that readily that if they hear a bugle they're gonna say hey this yeah. is, this yeah, is my spot my get spot. out of here exactly yeah. and so you take that and we just charge right in on them there's, there's <laughs> there is no joke <laughs> like yeah. right straight in their face and uh, more often than not they turn and meet us so and that's the key you're not going to see them you're not yeah. going to glass them up so if you're jumping around you find one that's you know vocal um, more often than not, I can call them in to get a good look at them, maybe get a shot. You know, once you get within that, you know, 50 yards or so, then you're just tossing coins in the air because the wind, as you've seen, it swirls a lot. Yeah. And the, the brush, the terrain, it may or may not end up being with a shot, but more often than not, he'll meet me before I get to his cows or whatnot. So are you calling when you say you go straight charge at him? Are you calling as you go in? I, I'm. I'd say the the approach is the call in. I do ch- I do check him and I want him to know I'm coming. A lot of that is the sound of me getting to gotcha. him. So I, you've seen elk posturing; they do yep. their thing. They come through their breaking branches. So just by us walking through the woods, it it sounds like that. So and that is building his anxiety. And as we're getting closer, he's getting you know prepared yep. for for defending his. He's like this is my right to breed. Yeah, and. and- so I'm guessing you probably don't worry too much about blowing them out of a canyon if they're that territorial. I mean, if you bump them, they're probably going to be right back on the same bench. That's the probably day. the biggest fear I have is if I bump them, if they win me and they do blow out of that canyon, then he's going to lose that desire to protect. Gotcha. So I, that's the last thing I want to do. And if the wind is wrong, I will not hunt him. Yep. I mean, even if he's screaming, if the wind's wrong, I will come back on a different day. Huh. Because if he's out of that canyon, I no longer know where he is. Mm-hmm. And he's probably not going to be as vocal if he's in another bull's territory. Gotcha. So ideally, I, when I do decide to hunt him, it's the perfect conditions. So the, if just what I'm gathering here is this is heavy on the archery tactics. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Okay. What the, what's the success rate in archery season compared to rifle season? 
where we hunt, yeah. oh man, I, it, it's almost impossible to kill a Roosevelt in the areas that we hunt with a rifle. Right. It just really is. If yeah. you can't call them, you have no idea they're even there. Yeah, you know, you're, you're not, we don't, we try to focus on areas that are away from clear cuts. We might hunt the periphery. We don't want to find them in the open, yeah. um, which is obviously the only places that the rifle hunters are going to find them. Yeah. So you find them in big stands of timber that you, the only way you're going to ever locate them is by a bugle with a, with a rifle. It's going to be virtually impossible. Just because of the rifle yeah. seasons, they're, it's post-rut, and right. yeah. they're done. And yeah. they might catch them in a road. So we hunt mostly public land. Yeah. So National Forest, which they haven't logged in 25 years. Okay. Yeah. So it's thick. Yeah. The roads are not kept, so it's hard to get down them. So you're walking a lot, you're riding a bike, you're driving a little uh, Suzuki Samurais, or whatever you, you got to do <laughs> to get around that country. Uh-huh. Uh, but... Um, a rifle hunter, I'd say their success rate is probably significantly lower in the areas that we're focusing. Mm-hmm. So the bulls we're hunting are probably on average five to seven years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. A little bit more mature animal. Yeah. Then you're going to find around the, you know, the clear cuts and uh, the open areas. Huh. So. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can kill them in those areas right. too. It's just where we tend to not focus, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, because the style that we, we hunt um, that just lends to a, a more of an advantage for us rather than trying to call one across to clear cut or somehow sneak in on one. Mm-hmm. We want those bigger stands of timber. Yeah. We want that old growth. We would prefer to have it be, you know, really nasty, brushy right off the road where most people just drive by. But once you drop down in and get to where he's living, it's going to be park-like, you know, yeah. so you're going to be walking through, you know, chest high ferns you're not going to have the salmon berry and all the stuff that you deal with that are up higher you're going to drop down in and you're going to find that he lives in an area that's actually very comfortable for right. him um as opposed to what you see when you're up you know where you're driving around on ridge tops and looking locating from there you know from the road as Corey you experienced last year from the road everything looks bad yeah. you know, it <laughs> does. everything is bad yeah. from the road <laughs> yeah. you know and then getting, you, getting there's the hardest part now yeah. where these bulls call home it's usually pretty nice. And what I found, mm. and it, I, I just, it made sense to me, but they seem to live on the fringe of that thick stuff, and they immediately could retreat there and yep. disappear. Yeah. And so they, they love that park area. It's open. They can see. But the second they detect danger, hear something, smell something, they're in that thick stuff. Yep. And there's, I mean, hands and knees or several times we had to back out. I'm like, I can't go forward anymore. We have to crawl backwards to get to a point where we can start crawling through the brush to make it through the brush. It was that thick and nasty. Yeah. Wow, you're yeah. talking me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, these guys, that was exciting to hear that, yeah. you know, the old growth, the park, like, cause that's, I don't know if you guys watched, I think it was day four, day five when I missed that bull. Yep. That was like my dream Roosevelt setup. Just that old growth with green moss on everything, but you could see for 50 or 60 yards and that coastal fog coming up oh, out yeah. of the, out of the bottoms and. Yeah, it was picture perfect right it there. It was. Yeah. Other than the shot. <laughs> so what what are the dates of your archery season? So the Oregon season is the last weekend of August. Okay. And then I think it's four consecutive weekends after. So that season moves. Based on and the then calendar. resets. Exactly. Yeah. So from what I found, the later in September you are, the better off you are. So you have the most data available, the most rubs you're going to see. By that last week, the bulls are extremely vocal. Um, they usually have all their, their cows. They're all, you know, the pecking order has been established and they know who they are this year. Um, if I had one week to hunt, it would be the last week of season, whatever that weekend is, or week is. Hmm. That's interesting. Because yeah. a lot of people I've talked to have said too early is too early. 
but earlier is better. You know, once once they kick in and start really rutting, you want to hunt them then because after that, there's more pressure. People yeah. push them around. They get their cows. They're harder, and so that's yeah, there's not a lot of pressure in the areas we hunt now. I'm gonna emphasize we hunt areas that most people just don't go. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's it's the there's there's no road in the bottom. People don't like packing a thousand pound animal out of the bottom of those. Yeah. Um, in order to be successful year after year, you got to do that kind yep. of stuff. So you got to find those pockets. Yeah, where, we, yeah. we don't shy away from wherever we get an answer. Yep. Yeah, and what we find yeah. too, a lot of times is you'll get opening weekend will be very busy. Yeah, you see more guys in the woods <laughs> driving around. Um, Labor Day weekend will be fairly busy because it's a three day weekend, and yeah. most people will take that first kind of Labor Day weekend and and pigtail their vacation off of that, and then after that first week. The number of guys that you see out there, whether they just don't have the time to take off or they're frustrated because there's just no elk here, so they retreat <laughs> and go start hunting clear cuts because a lot of archery guys are converted from old rifle hunters, mm-hmm. which, I mean, we all probably are. Right. Um, growing up, you know, that's what I did. So it would just always go back to what was easy, yeah. you know, where we just stick to the exact same game plan the whole season yeah. through. You know, we it's, don't adapt. I mean, we only adapt to the areas that we're in, but we don't adapt to anything other than that. If you, if you haven't experienced what we've, what we've experienced, you, you want to go see elk. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we don't care to see yeah. elk until he's within shooting distance. Yeah. So. And I'm the same. I prefer, <laughs> I mean, even Rocky Mountain, I would rather hunt thick, dark timber right. with open shooting lanes because you can move around better without being seen. You can get yeah. set up, you can get in close, put pressure on them, and so... Yeah. yeah, it just takes it to a whole new level over yeah. there because yeah. you can get as close as you want to without being seen. Right, and people like to see elk. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. Yeah, that's why we enjoy like mule deer hunting after elk season because you get to see a ton <laughs> of animals. <laughs> ah, this is really cool. But yeah. during elk season, I mean, we'll go days and days without even seeing. I mean, we'll maybe get lucky and have a cow run across the road in front of us first thing in the morning or something. But I mean, you just you could go several days without yeah. seeing elk. You're still finding sign, and but like Shannon said, until you find that one that's ready to ready to fight. You know, it might be a few days in between, you know, uh-huh. and even then you still might not necessarily see them. You might work a bull and never, never see them because you might back out because the wind's wrong. The terrain setup is just different. Um, you know, weather conditions can change and screw things up too. So, you know, we don't get too hung up on trying to see them. So as territorial as they are, if you say, well, last year we had a bull in this drainage and then four drainages over, we had another one. If are you gonna are they gonna be in those same places year after year? Yeah, I believe they probably live or you know born and die in that same area. So they don't migrate for winter or anything. I mean, they just live in that pocket. Yeah. Yeah. So I will go to the same bull year after year after year. Yep. they don't really get smarter year year end over year end. But uh, if if I hunt him one day and mess up, then it's hard to kill him after that. But for, for that entire season. For that season. But okay. the next year, it's as if he completely forgot Reset about button. it. So, yeah. See, and I've huh. said that. People always yeah. say that elk get call shy. You know, year after year, elk get call shy. I don't think they have that memory. I think by mm-hmm. September, they're getting reprogrammed yeah. and reeducated, but it's not a... I think a bigger bull is just smarter, and he's more wary, but it's he's, not from experience of getting pressured season after season. Exactly. He's less likely to repeat the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't think they ever get call shy. Yeah. I think they get cautious. Yeah. But um, I've called the same Roosevelt in three times and spooked him on purpose to see if he would not come in the next time. <laughs> we called him Yo-Yo. He just kept coming in. <laughs> it's, it's great video. Yo-yo. He wasn't a big bull. We weren't going to kill him. But I just wanted to see, hey, I'm going I'm to spook this thing. I'm going to uh-huh. come back tomorrow. And I called him in three times. So, oh, that's crazy. So he clearly wasn't yeah. remembering. Is he still alive? 
Good question. I, just, I, I, need, to get go, I need to go yeah. I need, I need I need to like that. I need to start hunting yo-yo elk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, don't, I mean, we talked about this a lot of times. These elk, they can't fathom the idea that a human can make that yeah. sound, too. So they're never going to say, oh, you know, that's a human. I'm not yeah. going to go into that. They have to anticipate every single bugle they ever hear is another elk coming in trying to take their cows. So, yeah. you know, that, that memory thing is tricky for them because yeah. it's you're, you're fighting against instinct, too. Yeah. So there's hmm. always the, the play on that as well. And, and I agree. Like when you call in an elk and they come in and they wind you or they see you, in my mind, I think they still think that there's another elk there. There just happens to be danger that got in between Ooh. them and they're out of there. So yeah. it's, I, I just don't buy into the whole call yeah, shy elk thing. Yeah, yeah, they get more pressured. They're more uh, educated from that pressure during that season. But by the next season, you hunt them early, and that same bull is going to be stupid on the day that fresh start. Yep, yeah, you get a fresh start on him. Yep. And because of the terrain that we hunt in, I mean, what we were talking about earlier, we don't worry about a rifle hunter killing the bulls that we've located the year before. So we'll go right back and check those bulls again the following season because they're probably likely to still be there, yeah. Yeah. be alive, be in that same canyon. In fact, we've got one bull in particular that we've targeted the last two years um, periodically that. He's, I mean, he lives in the exact same canyon. It's just a matter of which area of the canyon he's going to be in. So it might take a few days to find him, but then once you do, you know, then you can hunt him. Yeah. Um, he just happens to be a great big old smart bull. I showed you a picture of him. He was the bull I had at full draw at 12 feet. <laughs> Didn't have a shot. I had no open shot to yeah. shoot. Oh. Um, Shannon had him <laughs> this year and uh, just overran him, basically. I overran him. I just got too excited. Yeah. I, I, we, we made mistakes on him. Yep. He should be dead. I mean, if it wasn't yep. for our own mistakes, he would be. So, huh. And it wasn't that he's so smart that he was beating us at the game. He said we were beating ourselves. Yeah. You know, so. Hmm. so in the world of Rockies, you'll see... Four ridges that all look the same, but for some reason that I can never detect, one of those four ridges is where they hang out and do most of their rutting. It's where you find all the rubs. It's for for some unknown reason in September that that one ridge year after year is the place they like to be. Is it similar to that, or is it? Well, no. I mean, I think these Roosevelt's go get their cows and bring them back to their home. So oh. unlike unlike a breeding area, mm-hmm. I think Rockies do do that a lot. They'll go to a certain basin. Right. The entire herd goes to that basin. It's got mm-hmm. the food and water and cover mm-hmm. whatever they want. And then that's where they do their breeding. I think these Roosevelt actually go get cows, bring them home, and then do their thing. And these big bulls are content having four or five cows. Oh really? So yeah. that's a that's a harem for that's him. Harem. Usually, it's not much bigger than that. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. So and you and a lot of times we're not dealing with little satellite bulls, which for Rockies I found to be the most challenging thing. Yeah. Is you got five or six other bulls mm-hmm. making your bugles just you know background noise. Yeah. So Roosevelt, it's really not the case. Every now and then we'll run into a spike or a little four or five point. That in order to get to the big bull, we got to get in between them. So we'll just spook that one away. And, and a lot of times that that's how we get to be the closest threat to that bull. So, hmm. yeah, I don't I don't think there's areas that this um, was where they all go to breed. It's that bull goes gets cows from wherever he needs to get them. Yep. It may be a mile away, and then he'll bring them back because in the area there's not a ton of elk sign where we're finding these big aggressive bulls. There's just bull sign from year over year over year. Lots of so old I, rubs. Yeah. So yeah. I know he's there every September. Yeah, and we spook them with a strategy, though, too, you know, push that 
that smaller bull out, instantly bugle become that more dominant aggressive bull that's moving in. There's a reason why the so spike or something's running off. off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. So that he doesn't startle the herd and take everything else with him. So there's strategy behind even just kicking the little ones out of the out of the way to get in closer to the big one. So with with the terrain being like it is, just so hard to hear elk bugle, and with them being so small in herd size and not having satellite bulls, and with them being so territorial, do you usually only hear one bull bugle at a time? I mean, you aren't getting in a canyon and having six bulls light off. Rarely do we hear more than one from where we locate. Yeah. yeah. And once we hear one, it's just, you know, all attention is focused on that. Start study the terrain, you yeah. know, use the technology we have today, which is an amazing step forward yeah. from what we had, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But, you know, we'll study it. And, and you know, we find them in common places. You find them in nice little benches or flat bottoms to these drainages or, or what whatnot. So then we just establish a plan to get to him. And I want him to know I'm coming there. So I, need, I would like to be a straight shot from across the canyon down and over to him or, or some way that he's aware that I'm on my way. And I don't like to relocate. Like, oh, he's on that side. We'll go over there and come down on top of him. Because I think that... Throws him off. I don't think they like it. I don't think they like it. Yeah, because they think there's a bull there bugling. His attention's there, and all of a sudden they got one behind him. It just, it seems to not work out as I would hope it does usually. Which comes into thermals, because for for us, we'll get on a ridge and we'll cover a ton of country looking for the canyon that has the herd or the bulls. And sometimes we'll get four or five... That's ideal. And you get four or five bulls bugling in one area. If you can go and mess up a couple and still have more to play and, you know, it turns into a day-long hunt and you have to continually pay attention to the thermals. But over there, I noticed there were several days there weren't thermals. It was wind, Mm -hmm. like true coastal wind. It's like, oh, the wind's coming off the ocean today and it's blowing straight up the hill all day. And then the next day it's calm and you've got normal thermals and the next day it's blowing side hill. And so it just, it's almost more like whitetail hunting in that, hey, this Hmm. bull's in this canyon. If the wind's coming off the ocean, we can't hunt him today. We've got to wait for a a different wind. Yeah, well, our mountaintops are maybe 2,000 feet tall. So there isn't a lot of elevation to get those thermals. And so it's not something we even... That's, you know, we don't even consider it. No, no what, yeah. what time of day is it, you know, is the thermals going to change? It's not. Check prevailing winds no. in the morning yeah, just to kind of yeah. get a general idea of the direction. Like you're saying, is it coming in from west and blowing to east? Or do we have an east wind today? Or is it coming from the north? You know, I mean, just once you get that established, then you can, once you're relocating in that canyon, you can try to decide, okay, which angle are we coming in from? Or yeah. where we, which right. area will we locate from? Because a lot of times we'll have two or three entry points into a canyon picked out. So get to that one that's going to be advantageous wind-wise and call from there. So I think that plays into being able to go straight at the elk, where mm-hmm. a lot of times in, in the mountains, you can't do that because the thermals are changing. Right. You, know, you might go downhill and it's downhill and you turn the other side and it's uphill if it's on the south face or something. But with the prevailing winds, if you, if you hunt the area right from the beginning, when you get an elk to view, you can go straight at him. Yeah. yeah. And we experienced that last year a lot in Wyoming too. You know, multiple bulls, winds changing, shifting all over yeah. the place. Yeah. It makes it makes it challenging from that standpoint. Different. Yeah. Different Sometimes sure. the wind's blowing right at them at yeah. first, but odds are it's not doing that where they are. Yeah. So yeah. we, you know, we'll push the envelope on that quite often. You know, we'll go another thirty yards and see what the wind's doing there. Oh, okay. Well, now it's going this way. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I wonder if the wind. You know, I always say it does like a ninety degree fan from where you're at in open country. I wonder if there, if it's tighter, if you can get away with more aggressive approach just because of the train that the wind doesn't dissipate in quite as broad of a fan 
Yeah, that, that all plays into, you know, how quick we, from the time we locate them to the time I want to get an arrow in them, I want it as short a time as possible. Yeah. So, and, and because of the wind for, for one part is, I don't know what it's going to do in 10 minutes. So, yeah. you know, I almost run to get onto them as fast as I can and get it over with. Yep. <laughs> get it over with. <laughs> because, because the work comes when you're packing them out. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I killed a bull a few years back and it took uh, maybe 20 minutes to kill him. Located him down the hill. He came in, killed him. 20 minutes. Hmm. The bull's down on the ground. So Yeah, with a four yard. Yeah. Quarter two frontal shot. Wow. So, I mean, it was. So, that's an textbook. ideal situation. That's what I want to try to recreate every time. Yeah, yeah. But then, my first Oregon archery bull that I killed with Shannon was, uh, I mean, that was about a six hour hunt. Yeah. From the time we originally located him. And then we had to get down and wait for winds to change, you know, that kind of thing. It was napping in the bottom of a canyon, you know, hanging out until the. With that day we had thermals until yeah, they were either coming up the creek draw or blowing down the creek draw and so then we would wait for the wind to switch and we would then move yeah. and then check wind hunker down if we had to and that that process took a long time so it can vary you know it's not nearly as consistent as in the morning it's going to be blowing down and in the afternoon it's going to be blowing up like right. you get if you're hunting you oh know, we get little fronts that move in throughout the day so you know off the off the ocean so yeah. Or you get a day of sea fog and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> it just sounds <laughs> no, like it's raining yeah. all day. You know, and that was the craziest thing was you get that sea fog come in and he's like, oh, we're going to be able to hear anything today. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's, what, what aren't we going to be able to hear? And he said, it's going to sound like a downpour yeah. out there. Mm -hmm. And you get in there and just from the fog condensating on the leaves and then dripping out of the leaves onto the ground, you were in a downpour yeah. and you wow. couldn't hear anything. It's just the... Solid rain. Yeah, and your and your bugle doesn't carry because yeah. of the density of the air. And so if we get a day like that, or if it, if it's a day where it is raining, we'll usually just we won't even hunt that yeah. day. You know, wait if it maybe it'll let up and we'll go out in the afternoon or something. But that's there's, a camp day. There's a couple reasons why. Is as I find to kill these bulls, it's it's better to have those cows when they're bedded down because that bull is going to have no choice but to come to yeah. you. So if they're so, all on their feet, Shannon, why is that? Explain to me. Um, I, I think the cows get kind of nervous about the situation as uh -huh. well, and they'll they'll more often move off. Okay, but and if they're bedded, if they're bedded, those cows are comfortable. Okay, and they're not going to do so. We we target our elk. You know, we're hunting all day. I don't really get up at the crack of dawn. I, I hunt them throughout the day, but I usually kill most of them between like eleven and two in the afternoon. The cows are bedded. The cows are bedded. It's 70 degree weather. It's beautiful weather. If it's raining, a lot of times they're feeding all day. They're oh. moving around. Huh. So you might get a bull that's extremely vocal, but every time you get close to them, they just kind of meander off. So, um, so are they vocal in the middle of the day still? Are oh. you able to get mm -hmm. them to talk all day? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, without a doubt. They're, yeah. they're not as vocal. But, but they'll answer. But if I'm hammering a, a you know, we, we target social status. So we were a herd bull. Whether he's uh, 200 inches right. or 300 inches, it doesn't really matter. But in that area, he's the king of the jungle. So uh, usually if I challenge him, he will react to me. Yep. And, and a lot of times the reaction isn't a, a bugle. It's a, he's raking a tree. I can hear him, you know, shaking an alder. Hmm. He's breaking brush. He's kind of walking around nervously. So that's really what I'm listening for is just any sign of an elk and not necessarily just a bugle. Gotcha. So he might moan or squeak or squeal or something, but um, something to tell me he's there at the right, in the right area that I found enough sign and at the right time of day where I'm pretty convinced that the cows are sitting there chewing their cut or doing whatever they're doing, you know. So if you find sign, there's a good chance that bull's going to be within Here. 400, 500 yards of you. I believe somewhere. Yeah. that if I find sign, he can hear me. Yeah. 
whether that's true or not. But that's how I approach it. Mm-hmm. So Rockies, sometimes you'll hear a bugle a mile away. Right. You guys, is that? Unique situations you yeah. can hear a mile in that country. Yeah. Okay. Even and, a couple hundred yards might sound like a mile, especially if they're on your side of the hill below you. You know, it's just so dense. Mm-hmm. And if it's a little wet or damp, it just sucks up that, you know, that sound. Okay. So, yeah, as high as I can get in a canyon, I want to hammer that canyon. Um, any any reaction is a good reaction. So, in in the world of the Rockies, a lot of times the uh, the cows choose where the breeding is going to happen based on they need food, 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 and so the bulls go to where the cows have accumulated, and yeah, they the bulls will have their groups and they'll move them around and whatever, but. Uh, a big struggle a lot of people have in the world of Rockies is just finding elk, which you guys are probably laughing because you can see for three miles, it's like, how can you not find an elk when you can see that far? But I think that in my experience, and, and I was, I still have the problem at times of I get my mind somewhere else and I'm not focusing on food to find Rockies. Is there something that you say, all right, we know this canyon has these attributes or these factors or this area has these attributes and these factors, therefore there's going to be elk in there? Is it a food? no lack of food on the coast. There's food no food everywhere. And there's water everywhere. So so with them, if you say that food, water, sanctuary, there's 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 cover everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) It is covered. So it's a very random... I mean, it, not, to the outsider, it probably seems very random. They could yeah. be to you, anywhere. To mm-hmm. you guys who do it a lot, you're like, well, I still know there's little signs on the landscape I yeah. can read here that make it le- a lot less random than you think it is. Yeah. yeah. Computer scouting is big for that. You know, just tearing terrain apart on whether you're looking at Google Earth or, you know, any of the mapping um, applications, just mm-hmm. finding those canyons that look like they would be more appropriate for elk stuff that we've found them in in the past like shannon was saying we find a lot of you get down in the bottom of some of these canyons and some of them are really wide and flat but you won't know that until you get down to the bottom of it and that's where they tend to congregate they don't particularly love hanging out on hillsides okay um, Hmm. especially that are steep and those those canyons on the coast can be pretty steep so once you get down in there you'll find the ones that they tend to favor more times than not but there is food water and cover everywhere so just whatever other terrain attributes you can find that we've seen them consistently in. Um, you can even find them just by looking at topo maps. You know. hmm. What about wallows? That was, that was the thing that surprised me was it's wet, it's cool, it's never hot there. I mean, it's not like mm-hmm. 80 degrees. When it's 80 degrees in the mountains on September 15th, a bull's going to be at a wallow at mm-hmm. 10 a.m. Well, it might be 80 degrees, but that's out in the open. Right. Where these elk are, it's, it's just rarely cool and shady all yeah, day. So, rarely. do they use wallows? They do. They they, they wallow, but consistently. I um, I wouldn't say consistently. I wouldn't hunt a wallow. Yeah, I think it'd be a waste of your time. But uh, because it's just, I can't predict it, and, and I haven't focused on them enough to actually establish some sort of pattern to it. So, yeah. I just I asked because Brent had a trail camera on a wallow last year, right. and there was a bull in there that we hunted. It was bugling. You know, we got in on it a couple times. And he checked the trail camera, and that bull had been to the wallow every day from, like, August 17th until it was, like, August 28th when we were checking it. And I thought, it's not even, there were bears in the wallow, like, swimming in the wallow. And I just thought, it's not even hot. Why are they wallowing? But it just, 
it seems yeah. like that early season, it was somewhat consistent mm -hmm. on that wallow, that bull. I, that's my only experience. I mean, the with great them. thing about a wallow, I mean, it's more likely a bull. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know cows and whatnot can play in the mud too. And yep. bear, bear do a lot. Yep. So um, you find elk tracks in a wallow and there's probably elk relatively close. So, you know, that would pique my interest for yeah. sure. But it, it would be no more of a, a data point than a big rub. Right. Just there's elk here, not I'm going to yeah. put a tree stand and sit yeah. here and wait for an elk yeah. to come in. Yeah, yeah, we put a camera on a wallow a couple of years ago just to see, but it, we didn't find it until mid-September, yeah. and the bull never, ever came back. He just never hit it, and we just left the camera there because we just happened to have some. So, and if I had to, to guess, see. you know, early in the season, they're still trying to figure out where those cows are. They're getting yeah. those cows, so they're traveling a little bit. Once they get them, you might find wallows where he is now, right? but that's probably where you're going to kill him. Yeah. So, yeah. and in, in August on the coast down there, it can get 90 degrees. Yeah. And that humidity, I think, might play with them a little bit more, too, because they get hot. You know, it's not the dry, warm, you know, 90 degrees in, in Wyoming is different than 90 degrees totally. on the Oregon coast. Yeah. You know, you're sweating at 90 degrees on the coast. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Are you guys wearing a lot of rain gear or something else when we it's We always have up? rain gear with us. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, like I said, I don't like hunting in the rain. I yeah, think it's I don't either. counterproductive. <laughs> I hate it. No, I don't. I because mean, there's a usually... reason why I went to archery hunting. It's beautiful weather. Oh, is it nicer that time of year oh, than yeah. in the later? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Way nicer. I, just, I don't like it because I hate ruining $5,000 cameras. Right. <laughs> 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 That's just the tight wide in me. Yeah, well, for sure. So, and it, uh, we had a tent trailer, which is the first time I've hunted from a tent trailer. It's usually a tent and mm -hmm. a little bit more remote. <clears throat> we had a tent trailer, we had a generator, we had a heater in it, all of the luxuries, and we couldn't dry stuff out. Like, we would get so wet during the day, and yeah. just with the humidity at night and the oh. condensation, mm -hmm. we'd wake up in the morning with, you know, everything still wet. Camera gear, you couldn't dry out, it was... Just because of the ambient humidity <laughs> so yeah. high, there's not enough Correct. transfer yeah. of... Huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've created a heating system or a drying system. We we hunt with cab over campers and we tow our little SUVs, little Suzuki Samurai or Chevy trackers. And so that's what we use to run around in. So we leave our truck and camper at our base camp and then get in our little rigs and drive those around because they're way more advantageous to getting down some of these roads. But in our campers at night, I mean, we got little space heaters or something we'll put in our showers. And then we'll just turn those oh. on, let them run, hang our clothes in there, dry them out. Next morning, you get out and you're good to go. Almost like an yeah. oversized toaster or something. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vent, you know, just crack the vent so that the air can, can pop out. And then whether you leave your, your furnace on and warming it up that way or, or just run a little space heater, tends to dry it out. There's an advantage to being mobile like that, too, because yeah. we'll hunt the entire Oregon coast range in a season. Oh, wow. And you know, I'll hunt two or three days in one area. And then I find when I go to a new area that ha the elk haven't heard me, Mm -hmm. They're more, more reactive to me. So the first day in an area is usually the best day for me. If I can go find a bull, he answers, more than likely I can kill him. Yeah. Now, if I've hunted him several days or tried locating him several days in a row, he, I become just, you know, that bull again. So, A lot of times when we're trying to ease in on Rockies, it's the cows that'll mess you up. Right. Is that... What you find with Roosevelt's, or are the bulls so aggressive that the way you do it? You when probably... it all works out like I plan, those cows <laughs> never know we're there. Yeah. Oh. And okay. and that bull's dead, and those cows are still over there bedded down. Really? Yeah. More often than not, that's how it works out on a successful hunt. Okay. Now, if we push them or something, then, you know, now we're dealing with the entire herd. But more often than not, when I approach him, he meets me before I ever get to his cows. 
So are you set up at that point? Like, do you? I don't set up. You just go it's until dynamic. you hear him it's close. It's very dynamic. Yeah, I, I quit setting up years ago because the bull would swing around. In this country, you can see ten yards in places, yeah. so I can never predict the terrain enough to, for to figure out where he's going to come from. Just pushing in on him until he breaks loose and comes to you. Well, and I think the the most effective way is the caller is the shooter. The elk is coming to that sound anyway. Whoa, so, yeah. that's completely different yeah, than what we try to do. It is, right. You guys want a little separation. Yeah. You want to be able to move around, get that elk to come in front of him. And a lot of it's the visual part. Yeah, I mean, that's right. really, you want the collar separated from the shooter, so the bull has to come to where he can see the collar that curtain, yeah. and have the shooter in range, whereas if in that right. country you can be the shooter and the collar, and the bull can be 12 yards from him and you can't see each other. Exactly. exactly. So that bull's going to come up and he's going to want to see as well. Yep. So, and he gets to a point, he can see where that elk should be, and that's ideally where we, we shoot him. So, no, and if, and if Corey's hunting and I'm right behind him calling or something, and we're literally this close. Yeah. You know, so I'm working the bull right beside him. So there, and then we run camera right beside the collar shooter, too, so yeah. everything stays together. There is no separation of noise to keep everything kind of dynamic yeah. as one one fluid piece moving through. There are situations where you get in an open area and you can do that, but that's... It's, it's rare. <laughs> this is really intriguing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, if I thought I wanted to go do it before, I'd now I oh, really yeah. want to go do it. And these bulls just come charging in, yeah. absolutely charging. And when, when it all works out, his head is down, he'll look right through you standing there because he's looking for an elk. And he's just got his eyes are squinted and he's just dripping. It's a nose. He's just ticked <laughs> off. Eyes rolled back. Because he can't understand why are you challenging me in and my I've, area. I've established this, you know, respect it. Yeah. So that's huh. just amazing. And I don't know if you've seen any of my videos. Mm -hmm. So they just come screaming. They just come just flying in on you. And that's, that's the thing yeah. I think that's intrigued me is they seem so much tougher than a Rocky Mountain elk when they come mm -hmm. in. I mean, just there's a fire in their eyes, big rippling white bodies with those red antlers. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's the, almost a completely different species. Yeah. We have people tell us all the time, like, I would want to see a fight between a 250-inch Roosevelt and a 350-inch Rocky because I think that Roosevelt's going to tear him up. Yeah, you know, just because their aggression is much different, you know, but they think that they are the only one. Where, like, when in Wyoming last year, the the elk that we were hunting, there was, we got into a look a spot that had just the the bull to cow ratio was far too high. There were far too many bulls in that area that they just there there was no challenging of anything. Everything just kind of moved as one big unit fluidly, but there there was no aggression within that entire herd. Um, where you know in in Oregon, when we're hunting the coast there, you get that one bull that's fired up, and he will, I mean, he will literally run you over to defend what he's got going on. Yeah. You know, the bull that Shannon killed at four yards was, that bull wouldn't have stopped. He would have walked right past him if it wasn't for, he lifted his head up and saw our camera guy standing there, and he was like, whoa. I mean, you actually see him kind of pull his head back, like, what? And then Shannon shoots him. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. The, the, oh, the, it really was. Mm -hmm. Any different calling sequences or calling techniques than what? I think over the years I've I've learned and, and from watching them reacting mm -hmm. to me is is that initial bugle I do I just kind of scream and get their attention, and and I watched elk and 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 they'll look up at you, you know they turn their ears, so I I'll do another bugle right behind it, with a little chuckle at the end and and more often than not that second bugle gets the answer, so I'll scream. 
I'll wait about 10 seconds maybe, and then I'll do it all over again with a little chuckle. So, and I find that gets more answers than uh, your than perfect. One, one, bugle one bugle by itself, he raises his head and listens for more, and if you don't answer him, he goes back he to goes what he was right doing. So if you hit him with doing. the second one, you got his attention. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And there's other sounds out there too. If you're in an area where they might be logging, yeah. you get the sounds of the talkie tutors and the stuff that they're making and a lot of, you know, squeals of the machinery or things like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you're like, kind of look around, was that a bugle or some of, there's certain birds on the coast that sound like elk, which is weird. Huh. Um, but you know, there's other noises. So I think they're probably checking yeah. to make sure that that was, unless you're close yeah. enough to elicit a reaction right away, whichever once in a while you are. Yeah. He'll just hammer you yeah. before you're completely done. So, yep. but I also don't, I, I'm not going to pretend that I understand the language. <laughs> It's, you know, yeah. I don't, but I think bugling is very primitive. Yeah. That it means a lot of things at different times. So I'm basically just screaming at him. Yeah. And he's screaming back at me. So whether you do that, you know, is it hurting or uh, mating or uh, yeah. subdominant bull to dominant, I don't, I don't know, but I'm just screaming in his face and he's reacting to it. Yeah. So that's, I'm the same way. I don't yeah. get tired. I mean, maybe there is an actual language they speak yeah, and each different sound means something different. In my experience, it's just that emotional response. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They want to fight. And if you yeah. can elicit that, get yeah. in their face and scream. Yeah, and I don't bugle a lot. I mean, I just want them reacting to it. Yeah. So when I'm in, majority of my calling is me moving towards him. So that, that sound and that, that, uh, that approach, I think these elk do this in nature is they go to each other they eyeball each other they walk in parallel to each other and then usually one of them runs off yeah. and that's i think what they're expecting to happen so that's exactly what i do i walk right to them and then they'll come up to look at the other one and ideally we shoot them yeah so yeah every once in a while i, I do <laughs> shannon you make this sound so fun <laughs> it is fun it is fun when it works right. And it's really fun in October when you're pulling all the uh, salmon berry out of your fingertips and the uh, devil's club out of your, your uh, hips. Remembering <laughs> the hunt. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather just have a set of Roosevelt stuff. antlers yeah. and a freezer full of meat to remember it. Yeah. That was my least favorite part was just the, the terrain as far as the brush. And, yeah. you know, I mean, the terrain is no different. It's steep. There's yeah. some rugged yeah. stuff. There's all that. But you add brush that you can't navigate through and try to go up a steep hill. It wears you out yeah. just to go 200 yeah. yards up some of that stuff. Right. It's like super loose dirt. Yeah. You know, you're taking steps. You're taking two steps to gain one. You know, you there's areas. You can't see the ground like most of the time. Yeah. yeah. So you're feeling it. But so a, a mile in that country is completely different than a mile. Oh, in, in, absolutely. In, we did know, seven miles there one day on the coast. Yeah. I felt like we'd done a 16 right. mile day in Wyoming. Yeah. It yeah. literally, my legs, my feet, everything were just sore. My back was sore. Mm -hmm. I thought we only did seven miles. This is a morning hunt. And yeah. Yeah, it wore me out. Yeah. yeah, and that train, too, will dictate many times how much you actually bugle, because sometimes if you drop into a canyon, you might have to relocate him based on what you see once you get down there, because if you can't see anything or, or pick the terrain apart, because occasionally a bench will not look like a bench until you get standing right on it yeah. because the vegetation just doesn't allow it to appear that way. So he might be down into a canyon and just around a knob. And even though you're looking at a topo map of you should know exactly where you're at, you might have to relocate and call a couple times. Okay, now we know exactly where he is. And from there, we can really work in on him. So that terrain will dictate a lot of times if you need to bugle a bunch. Um, that four-yard bull was, it was pretty open in there. 
um, you could see a decent amount of distance. And so once we dropped in on him, we didn't have to relocate. We just hit him a couple times, worked in, and then stopped. And that bull came walking right to us, came up over ridge and drilled him. That was it. It was game over. Yeah, there's times where we'll go down, dive down in, and we won't hear the bull again. Mm -hmm. And this country's very cut up. Yeah. So a lot, of, you know, you'll get below a ridge line and you'll no longer hear the bull. So you have to kind of understand that and not get discouraged by it. Wait, what, what do you mean? I, so I'm, yeah. I'm trying to visualize <laughs> it. So you drop down and all of a sudden you can't hear him because of the topography is yes. blocking the noise? Or? Exactly. Oh, or okay. you're, not, you're not loud enough for him to, to hear you or vice versa. You're not, he's not loud enough to hear you. He might be 150 yards just on yeah. the backside of a yeah. ridge. Uh -huh. And in Wyoming or Idaho or something, we can hear him oh, yeah. you know, four yeah. ridges away on the backside of a ridge. Right. There, he might not even be able to hear you 150 yards away and right. answer, or you might not be able to hear his answer. So, yeah. <laughs> so studying where he is in the beginning is very important because I still want to continue that progress towards him. And eventually, I'm going to get to the point where I can hear him again, or I have to back out and Relocate. hear him again to reconfirm where he was. So that, that does happen quite often that we have to reevaluate what, we, what we're doing when we drop down in on him. I'm screwed. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I can only hear out of my right ear, so oh, I walk around the, the the woods thinking everything's to my right. <laughs> Just walk news. with your head oh, yeah. to the left. <laughs> <laughs> the good news, I didn't see any grouse when we hunted over there, so... Oh. Oh, I might cross Are there off grouse the there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, There's we've got lots. to the point where we... We hunt them with slingshots. I was going to say, you and thick what? brush with those grouse, uh, we might not find what you. What kind of grouse are we talking? Mostly rough. Yeah. Mostly roughs? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There's a few blues here and there, yeah. but, but mostly I'm roughs. I'm going. Yeah. If I wasn't going to be gone this late September. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. What's the limit? Is there one? <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> I guess it's two a day. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Only yeah. two. I'm, I'm coming over yeah. there grouse hunting, and if an elk gets in the way, I'll worry about that go. later. But yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, we, well, you'll have fun doing that and grouse yeah. and they're all over. Yeah, you'll really? find it. In the right spot, you know, they, I don't, I don't understand no, they're grouse. Just like grouse. Some yeah. days, some years there's hundreds of them, some right. years there's none. So Okay. It depends on if they looked up during the rainstorm that right. spring right. or not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or whether or not the eggs got soft in the in the moisture yeah. in the rain, you know, didn't make it through. Uh, so, yeah, lots but, of grouse, lots of black bear, and then every now and then you get lucky and see a deer. Mm -hmm. oh, there's deer all over, but every now and then you'll get lucky and see one. Yeah, yeah so. <laughs> that's get lucky and we, see we saw a forked horn buck yeah. last year in the road by camp, and I thought I hadn't even thought about it. Are there deer here? And they're like, oh yeah, they're all over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That same thing. That was the only deer we saw in yeah. eight days of hunting. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, but just, there are lots of blacktail on the yeah. coast. Yeah. yeah. So if somebody was going to come and challenge themselves to do this, are they crazy to think that they should only come for five days of hunting, or is it going to take? If longer. you if well if if you were able to predict the weather and um, could find an area that had elk in it already that you didn't have to find the elk, I think five days would give you a good chance of killing a bull. We typically sure. kill one bull a week, on average throughout mm -hmm. the season. So four, three, four bulls a year, but um, it, it depends on a lot on the weather. So if the weather if it's raining to me. Uh, why even bother? I might go look for rubs in areas I haven't been yet or look for some sort of sign. But as far as killing an elk in that con those conditions is pretty tough. So if you could pick the five days, you could probably be successful. So you don't hunt in the rain because you don't like to hunt in the rain or it's not a good time to hunt? There's a lot of, uh, you know, it's loud. It's windy. Um, the elk are on their feet moving. 
Um, in order to get an answer, you got to be pretty close already. Um, I just think it's exhausting. Oh. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, it discourages you. I would rather not go through that emotional roller coaster <laughs> and just wait for the weather to uh, be nice again. We're on the same page, Shannon. <laughs> if, it, if I never hunt anything again in the rain, uh, it's not going to bother me. I'm not going to feel like I missed out uh, on what's anything. What's crazy is, is we hunted the second to last day over there in an absolute downpour. I mean, it was a true rainstorm. You would get more wet going through the brush than walking out in the rain. Probably. Like, so sure just though. imagine in a downpour being out in the open and 4X that going yeah. through the brush. It was just miserable water running down your back. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. It's I, not so much the rain too, like you're saying, it's everything else. Yeah. And then everything's wet for 24 yes. hours after the rain. Yeah. And you have to crawl through it. So Yeah. Well, I, I've developed this problem about hunting Sitka blacktails in Southeast Alaska and climbing from the coast all the way to the Alpine and if it's anything like that, I don't know if I'm tough enough. Well, we did that too. Yeah. It's miserable. We can talk about that as well. <laughs> so is it worse? Yeah. The co Oregon coast worse than Southeast Alaska? It's the same terrain. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not as high or as steep for as long as it is there, mm -hmm. right? Those mountains are brand new. So they right. just go from, see, you know, from the ocean to the top in one straight swoop, 2,500 yeah. feet. Uh, here you're going to have more shallow ridges and... Uh, benches and whatnot. So, but as far as thick and cover, absolutely. Yeah, not the much same. Different. But there's no above timberline on the coast. You know, you, like right. in oh, Southeast you know, you don't break out you don't into break an alpine. No. <laughs> no. And no. our vegetation is softer than it is up there. That vegetation up there is a little stiffer. Mm. So ours is a lot of um, salmon berry, which is a nice soft. Mm -hmm. There's you know thorns all over. It scratches right. you, but it's relatively soft. Uh, soft uh, uh, vegetation so and the ferns are pretty soft and blackberries aren't real soft but no but they're, they're good they taste but you good. can you <laughs> can yeah, usually plow through a lot of that and you're not plowing through a lot of that southeast alaska stuff no yeah so no you, without getting you circle up. back and you yeah. try again and yeah. yeah you give up finally and you say hell with it i'm going home. yeah <laughs> it's a little bit of a common oregon coast is a little bit of a combination of Southern Arizona and Southeast Alaska. Everything put into every, one. Everything's prickly and, <laughs> yes. and gouges you. Exactly. Gosh, yeah. that's like the worst combination. Yeah. We've hunted sick of blacktail and we've hunted coos deer. Uh, and that Oregon coast kind of meets right in the middle. Huh. Well, I just hate the misery of you getting those torrential rains up there yeah. when I'm blacktail hunting. And I just hate it. I get yeah. mad. I get edgy. I get <laughs> pissed <laughs> off for no other. I don't know what a better word is yeah. to say. I just get away from me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then we felt like that. There's, it was almost claustrophobic feeling. You get in some of that thick brush and you can't push through it anymore. Physically, you can't push your way through it. And you turn around, and you're like, I just came through 300 yep. yards of this. I have to go back, back through all of it. And it's, yeah, you get that. I just want to run right now. I just want to run straight through it. And break something yeah. <laughs> to get to a point where that bull is only a couple hundred yards away yeah but you have to back out and swing around to complete and i know direction. he's in a nice open place yep. that's what's frustrating oh really he, he's so you there know that yeah. he's not he's not gonna just no he's not he, in that usually those big bulls aren't in that they don't oh. like that stuff hitting their face oh, okay so, this, so they're usually and when we kill them and that's how you discover these nice places and you ask yourself why didn't I hunt this before? Well, you didn't know it was there, yeah. you know? Yeah. So you get down in there, you find this wide open park-like setting, but you had to come 300 yards through all that salmonberry or the vine maple 
you know, and all that good stuff, or the salal and the yeah. Oregon grape. It's just brutal stuff. But but once you get to him, usually it's a uh, it's pretty pretty pleasant area. Huh. That's, so that's, that's what so keeps cool. me going. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what keeps me finding that through area. It. Yeah, knowing that he's probably in a place I can kill him. So when you hear a bugle, because you're saying I got to close that 300 yards through this jungle brush. Normally, and I know there's always the exception to every rule. Are you from where you first hear him to where you end up having an encounter? Is it 500 yards? Is it a thousand yards? Is it a mile? Is it? 200 yards? Yeah, yeah. no, rarely are you going to hear them that far away, so um, probably not going to hear an elk much more than 600 yards, 700 yards in this country, okay. in that country. Huh. So, um, yeah, it's not, it, it, we're rarely over three or 400 yards from the top of the canyon to the bottom. I mean, it's not, it's usually that far. It's not a distance. The challenge isn't distance. Yeah. The challenge is the terrain or the vegetation of the terrain. Yeah, and the topography. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It might so, only be twelve hundred yards to get to the or twelve hundred feet to get to the bottom. Uh huh. In a straight line. Right. But for us, it might take us a half a mile to <laughs> circumnavigate the, the vegetation to get yeah. down there. You know. Yep. And with all the other factors in play too, because you still are checking wind. You know, you're still looking at your stopping to look at your maps to make sure that your route to that bull is the best route that you can take so there's a lot of other factors that come into it so do you drop a pin on your gps or your your like smartphone mapping and say all right i think he's right yeah. here so if you start wandering and floundering it's like all right i know exactly where he was we do usually you don't have to use that because you're still in you can still hear him okay so Ideally, that's the case, is that we're always interacting with him and we're, we're on our way to him. Um, sometimes, like I said before, is you may lose track of him because the terrain has made it so you can't really hear him or you're not loud enough for him to react to it. Uh, and then we'll have to use that. But it, it doesn't happen all that much. And we study the topography long before we leave, you know, the ridgeline or the, you know, the landing, wherever we're coming from. So I know what, kind of what to expect down in there. Um, I, I don't know if I can walk a straight line to him, and usually that's not the case. So, hmm. you know, as much as I would like to go straight at right. him, you know, my route is usually, you know, whatever it's allowing me to do. So that's a nice thing with, yeah. with you know, a, a GPS or a smartphone app is you're able to see topography now. Mm-hmm. And right. so it's not just he's over on the opposite hillside. Oh, there's three little hidden draws down there. He's in that middle one, yeah. and you can see where you're at in relation to, to that once you drop down in there. So it's, you know, like you said, 15 years ago, we didn't have that Did advantage at all. And even with the GPS, you know, it's come so far since GPS has kind of yeah. advanced the technology. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, yeah, it's definitely a game changer. And this last yeah. year, Shannon started running an iPad. No so way. It's got a bigger screen, oh, yeah. more view, bigger area. <laughs> I just pull it out. <laughs> yeah. How do you keep that from getting destroyed in just that weather and conditions? Pack, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, like I said, more often than not, I'm not hunting in the rain, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. I want that nice 70-degree weather. There you go. That, that's yeah. a, Sleeping the, in, hunting yeah, during the middle of the right, the, the, you, You've got me suckered in, man. I'm going to Yeah, I never understood why you guys get up so darn early, man. Because <laughs> we're stupid. Usually because we have to hike you four miles to get to the You realize this is my vacation, too. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Taking vacations, I'm not getting up early. Oh, that's so yeah. funny you say that. We were on, a, on an elk hunt one time. We had a guest hunter, and 
about the fourth morning and getting up that early and having no sleep. He did say, you realize this is supposed to be a vacation, don't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're going to need a vacation from those kind of vacations. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so when you come yeah. home from an elk hunt, yeah. you have to spend three days recovering. Yeah, like I know. Yeah. yeah, you took only you only took a week of uh, vacation for elk hunting. Well, no, I took two weeks off. Yeah. You know? like, I have two weeks. So the second <laughs> one's to recover from elk hunting. Exactly. Oh man, this sounds yeah. like way too much fun. It is a blast. I, I am. I wish I wasn't booked up already for September next year. I'm keeping that clean. Yeah, this year the dates aren't great. The season ends a little early. Yeah. Um, and then it resets after that. But mm. it's still that latter half of the year should be or latter half of the yeah, season 2020 be will be a good year and it's yeah. a it's an over-the-counter tag for archery yeah, yes. straight up wow and yeah. you can hunt pretty much the whole, the whole oregon coast right yeah, i mean yeah the whole state you can even you can hunt rockies yeah. one day yeah. and yeah. jump over and hunt roosevelt's the next day with the same tag yeah yep. you could hunt roosevelt's cascade roosevelt's and then rockies all consecutively in three days in a row yep. if you wanted to you could <laughs> drive the whole state and hunt them that way Roosevelt's so. Cascade Roosevelt's. Yeah. So you got they, two groups of Roosevelt's yeah. there? Yeah, they just consider them different. They're pretty much the same animal. Based on geography? Yeah, yeah. It's where well, they live. Yeah, based on I-5, really. You know, that's not necessarily a natural... <laughs> <laughs> not geography? Yeah. No. <laughs> but they identify them as yeah. a true, true Roosevelt west of Interstate 5, right. everything to the east of that, which, if, as you know, I mean, until you get basically to the Pacific Crest Trail, everything to the west should theoretically be a... Roosevelt. Okay. And then once you get up there, there, there's the ability for them to crossbreed. Yeah. And you'll find a crossbred, you know, Rocky or a Cascade Roosevelt, and they look way more like a Rocky Mountain bull. I mean, they're bigger than any coastal Roosevelt. And then, you know, once you get east of the PCT, then it's all Rocky Mountain. So somebody's talking uh-huh. about a 360 inch Roosevelt bull. It's a <laughs> crossbreed. <laughs> Not yeah. necessarily. Yeah. No. The- <laughs> those uh, those coastal Roosevelts get big. Yeah. If if they're allowed to live 10, 12 years, they are big animals. Yeah, hmm. with lots of uh, you know inches on their their head, and it's the, usually the, about fifty percent mass from what I've seen. Right, Those things absolutely. when they get big, they're yeah. just yeah, massive. Yeah. yeah, they're not real real long. A guy that we used to hunt with, yeah. he killed one that was grossed at three forty seven, netted yeah. three forty one, yeah. and that is one hundred percent Roseville. Yeah, one hundred percent Rose, right on the right on the ocean. So, huh? But but, they they yeah. do get big, you know. They have to have the right you know, the conditions and everything. Age and uh, yeah, all the factors. Vegeta- the original you know, genetics. And huh. genetics and uh, age and uh, nutrition, I, mean, I imagine, are your key factors. Um, I expect them all to be big. <laughs> I love it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. and, that's a, and to me, that's the great thing about hunting them is I don't know what this elk looks like. I've yeah. never seen him. 12 yards away. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why so, I love calling elk because yes. it's... The elk walks in, you don't know until he steps out. That's just that's And like honestly, Christmas for morning. me, it really doesn't matter at that point. It's like if he's in a shooting lane, he's getting shot. Exactly. So. Open it up so a new Corey, you, you shot a really nice Roosevelt bull last I year. I shot a good bull last year, yeah. What um, was the date? Uh, I killed him on September 6th. 6th. Yeah, it was the day before my birthday, which was huh. close to a birthday bull. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was on the 6th. It was early in the year. We, had, we hunted earlier this year hard because we were going to Wyoming for the second half of the season. So... Um, we put a lot of effort into the first portion of the season, which by then, usually by around the 6th or 7th is when we kind of just get started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll go down Labor Day weekend, and basically it's kind of a scouting trip. You know, we'll check on bulls that we knew from last year. And then from there, you know, like I might go back to work for a week, and then the following weekend after Labor Day, then from there on through the rest of the season, I'll take that whole time off or not. Sometimes <laughs> I just 
I'm working. Um, but they, uh, you know, then from, but this year we had to target them early just because of, we were leaving on the 15th and heading to Wyoming. And, um, but yeah, he was a good bull. We just kind of rough scored him. He's like 265, 270, which for a Roosevelt Rose is a big bull. Giant. Yeah. Yeah. He's real thick. Um, he's, yeah, he's a really, really cool bull. So that was a fun one. Yeah, that bull is a perfect example of how we, you know, you just don't hunt the wrong wind. So the first day we found him, we, we moved in on him and the, the wind was blowing right to where he was answering from. So we just turned around and left. Came back the next afternoon. He's in the exact same place, like probably the same bed. And we just recreated that entire scenario. This time, the wind was right, and we got in on him and killed him. Yep. Wow. <laughs> we just had to come up a creek draw and work in underneath of him and push up the hill. And um, he came down to us. He would have. Met, he met us at the bottom. We just didn't. Where I was at, set up, I couldn't see him. Um, we had a fun. We were kind of working on a fun project with a younger kid who um, actually started watching Shannon's ASP videos back in, like a guy gave him one in 2005. And so he's doing a project with it. So that film, we haven't even released my bull from this last year. Um, kid named Jack Lander who was filming us filming our hunt. <laughs> and it's kind of a neat project because he's t he even talks on the video about how, you know, back in 2005, one of his dad's friends gave him a DVD and it was Shannon's original DVD that he put out in, in 2006, but it was the 2005 season. And he's like, and here I am 10 years later, so he's only 25 now hunting with these guys. And so we filmed that whole thing and it just it was like textbook. We picked him up in town. We got up to camp. We, we got ready. We dropped. We went, I mean, we knew where that bull was from the day before, <laughs> but we got there. We located him within two hours. That bull, I shot the bull, and he was just like, this, this is what it is? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's too easy. <laughs> you couldn't draw it up any better. Uh, but that, yeah, so that was a fun hunt. That was a really, really good. Um, and it, it was exactly what we would want it to be. Yeah. Right, know. and if we tried hunting him that first day when the wind was wrong, you probably would have blown him out and he wouldn't have been there the next yeah, day. Yeah, so, yeah. so having patience like that is How far is do they go when you blow them out? It's hard to say. Do you, it's hard I to mean, have you ever got them. onto a bull? I, obviously, you don't see them, so it's hard to right. say that's the same bull. Yeah, yeah it's, hard, it's hard to say. I do know this, that they're less likely to respond. You know, and a lot of times if they blow out over a canyon top and into the next one, I don't follow them. Because I'm not, I'm not going to keep up with a herd of elk. I'm not yeah. going to be able to chase them down. So they don't just run 300 yards and hunker back down not, in a hole. They might, they may run for a little bit, stop and walk, and then, but they're just not as comfortable as they yeah. were. So, yeah. so the likelihood of getting him in that right emotional state is, it's a lot of work. It's, yeah. it's probably not going to happen. So I would rather not risk that. You know, and our time is precious. Yeah. So. Out of the three weeks to a month we get to hunt, you know, you're, you're only going to have, you got to have the right conditions, you got to have the right animal in the right spot. So uh, I want to take advantage of every situation I get. So. Yeah. Yeah. And well, if you're hunting 20 days, say you hunt 20 days for elk, how many different bulls do you probably hear? 20? Uh, I probably rarely hear 20 bulls in a season. Yeah. Oh, so wow. yeah. In 20 days of hunting. And see, right. there, there's been days in Wyoming where I've heard 10 or 12 bulls yeah. in one morning, different oh, bulls right, right, last year. Right, right, yeah. And so it's, yeah. you know, it's just, it's a completely, yeah. and for me, it was a little frustrating at yeah. first because we would cover what I felt was a lot of really good elk country and not see a single track, not see a rub and not hear a bugle. I thought right. there are just no elk here. But then you realize there's only one bull and three cows in this whole drainage. Yes. And you've got to go clear to the next drainage to yeah. find one more bull and three more cows. Right. And So a bugle getting an answer for me means a lot more yeah. than getting an answer in Wyoming or even yeah. Eastern Washington or Oregon, right? So, And um, the other thing is when we jump an elk in Wyoming or Idaho or something, I'll follow it for three and a half or four miles 
knowing it's eventually going to stop and, and bed down or hunker down there and I can hunt it again. Mm-hmm. Whereas there, yeah, it just seemed like every time that we bumped an elk and it went over the top of the ridge, we never heard an elk the rest of the day. We never right, saw an yeah, elk right. the rest of yeah, the day. Yeah. A lot of times they won't have to run very far to get comfortable yeah. in our country. They'll run for a few hundred yards and then they can just stop and meander yeah. through and walk. They can walk away from you in that country. We can't move that fast to keep up with them. It's just impossible. Yep. You can't run unless you get up onto a road, you know, a logging road, and then you can right. run them. Um, but you just can't run in that in that area. But the vegetation, if they turn around and they're only 100 yards away from you and they can't see that threat, They'll stop. And they'll know they can hear you. Nothing's right. going to sneak up yeah, on them. Yeah, you're not going to sneak through. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's guys that that's all they do. You know, they track them down, and they're very successful at it. Oh, wow. But, I mean, that's a lot of work, man. Yeah. Those guys that do that year in, year in, those guys are studs. Yeah. Um, and I don't enjoy that yeah. as much as I, and I'm out there to enjoy what I'm doing. Totally. So, so, yeah, there's uh, nothing like calling. No, 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 no. no. And I, yeah. I think if those guys ever experienced what I experienced, they would stop doing what they're doing. <laughs> I want everybody to hunt like me because that gives me a chance to be successful <laughs> on those same elk that they're hunting. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah, if they could experience what I do, they, they would probably stop chasing them around the mountains. Yep. Yeah, and what Shannon's done in the last, you know, 20 plus years of hunting Roosevelt's is created a very efficient system. Yeah. You know, yeah. when somebody like myself, seven, eight years ago, when I started hunting with him and you start learning that system and I realized all the inefficiencies that I was doing when I was hunting before, I'm like, man, you just cut all the fluff out. And if you really target what you're doing, it's kind of like walking through a process. You know, like if, yeah. if, if this, then this, and you just move through very, very efficiently and the end result is almost effortless. I mean, it, you know, it is tough. It's still challenging, yeah. but it feels effortless when you're done. You're like, well, that was it, you know, um, rather than feeling like you just are working hard to make the, to, you know, to accomplish the goal. This is really systematically approaching these animals yes. to kill them in a very systematic and methodical way that if done right, should work 100% of the time. Right. And it's probably why the success rate with our group or the guy, you know, or even with Shannon is extremely high year after year after year, repeatedly processing and killing these animals in the exact same way, um, you know, lends other people to look at you and go, you know, why are you guys <laughs> not the right. eight to 10% yeah. success? You guys are the killing the 90% of the elk. Yeah. Which is yeah. interesting because you talked, you know, you said you usually kill one elk a week. Right. And I think for listeners listening to this, having you guys and us agreeing, that's very successful. Yes. Yeah. And for somebody that's coming out going, this is somebody that's been hunting elk for 20 plus years who lives there, who breathes and is passionate about elk and their success is one elk in a week of hunting for somebody coming from out of the area, no idea of the train, no idea of scouting to do that. It's a, it's it's a, a tall order. Yeah. yeah, it's a challenge. And that's an average, too. I mean, sometimes yeah. it'll take us, you know, two weeks to get all these bulls figured out. And, and then we might kill three, three bulls. Days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. know, but it yeah. averages out to about one a week. And sometimes it depends. Like, if we're hunting together, then, you know, he'll focus on killing the one bull that we find based on, you know, whether it's size of the rubs or the, what we've seen in the past, past season, you know, and, and I will just film. And then once he's killed that bull, then revolt, you know, we reverse roles and then hunt different that way too. So, Do you use trail cameras? Like, no, so we've put, we put them up. We've tried and just you get, you know, nothing. Random. Yeah. So even if you get in an area where you can tell this bull is here year after year, there's rubs here, you don't go back and put a trail camera. No, nah, like I said, we've tried to do yeah, it, but yeah. it just never worked out. So it's just, and they get stolen. It's frustrating. Right. So, yeah. uh, so I've so ran them into Cascades, but it's different. Than I don't, I don't rely on that. Not, 
I mean, the the rubs tell me everything I need to yeah. know. If I find a tree that he can't bend over and, and you know, it's nine, nine and a half feet tall, that bull's got probably 40 inches of bone on his head. Yeah. Wow. And he can, you know, these elk, and you pretty much over time, it, you know how tall they are and what they do when they're rubbing. Yeah. And you know when those horns are swinging over, you can, you can almost figure out to T exactly what they look like. Yep. I know if I find a lot of nicks way up high, he's probably got a crown on him. You know, a lot of little Extra nicks. gouges in the tree. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. So, huh. and, and it's it's like unwrapping a Christmas present <laughs> that you've shaken a little bit, right? You think you, think well, you know what it is. is he really? Exactly, yeah. and then he gets to come in. Yeah, and if we find a big rub, I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll hunt that rub for days in a row until we finally find that bull. Right. Or maybe he's realized that he's just not there. You know, yeah. we're just in the wrong area. He's traveled huh. a little further out than what we thought. But really focus on, especially, I kind of became you know, 6'3 with a pretty good reach. I become the litmus test of where it <laughs> separates everything out, you know. Right. If it's well above my reach, uh, well, we can just set up camp right there because we're not going far. Yeah. I know that. Huh. So Shannon will not leave. I couldn't do anything to drag him away. <laughs> be like, the Swedish bikini oh, team's just over here. And he'd be like, I don't care. Like with three rub. <laughs> exactly. Said, you know, a 300 is Roosevelt. It is a, oh, it's a giant. I've, I've, I haven't yeah. killed one. Yeah. And I've killed tons of bulls that are in the 250, 260, 270 range. Which are big bulls. Yeah, which are yeah. big Roosevelt. But to get one over 300 is a very special animal. Yep. Wow. So Now he's killed a Rocky Mountain bull that's 393 too, but yeah. he doesn't ever talk about that because it's not <laughs> nearly as impressive to him as a 300-inch Roosevelt. So, uh, wow. It, well, that was a special tag and in a special place. And, uh, you know, they grow them like that. So. Yep. But to find a 300-inch Roosevelt on the Oregon coast, there's nothing special about it. You know, those elk are not managed for quality. Right, yeah. So you're finding an animal that's evaded people for seven, eight, ten years. Yeah. Which is, a, you know, a special that's animal. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So. Yep. Well, the noise is starting to pick yeah, up here. The... I wonder what we're going to do to block out that stupid speaker that we got <laughs> that in was... there. Hopefully they don't come on very often. But I hope not, or they turn the volume down because yeah. I was about ready. If I had had a firearm, I'd have shot a hole yeah. in that speaker. I'll borrow one of the Hoyt bows over there. There you go. Plenty of firearm <laughs> manufacturers. That one right across the way there. Yeah. Uh, well, how, I want to know how'd you guys meet? How'd you? I mean, what Angry Spike Productions? Tell us about that. I know you've been making DVDs for what 15 yeah years, so i started like that? Uh, the first dvd i actually made was in 2001 and well wow. it wasn't a dvd it was a vhs <laughs> that is no joke uh, so for any of the listeners who don't know what a vhs is yeah. right. <laughs> young, young listeners yeah, yeah i've got three or four of them downstairs i'm trying to get rid of so if you want an <laughs> antique let me know i'll send it to you uh, but yeah you know uh, I, my mom bought me a um, handy cam or whatever it was for christmas you know long time ago and I, I was telling people about these roosevelt and and i grew up with the belief that you know everybody was telling me they didn't bugle they just couldn't call them in and so i started doing that and watching uh larry d and uh dwight shoe and uh glenn berry and all those guys and you know these elk and i used to hound dog hunt and i would i would hear elk bugle during the august september time frame so these are a social animal. So I just got really interested in, in understanding what that was. So, and then when I started being successful at it, you know, my, my group of friends and family didn't believe me, so I started filming it. Oh, okay. And then that just kind of took off. I made that VHS, and it had everybody in the local area wanted it. Mm. So then we, I got a group of guys together, and we made the first DVD, which was 
it's it's a lot of work making a DVD. So. Yeah, especially uh, back then. It's right, not as easy no, as it, iMovie and yeah. you know, published to YouTube now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we made a DVD and uh, it was you know more popular than I could really handle. Um, I couldn't keep up with demand. We actually got it in a lot of the big chain stores like Sportsman's Warehouse and whatnot. Yeah. And it was pretty overwhelming for me. And um, I made 2005, season 2005, season 2006. And feedback from my um, customers was didn't want to date it. So I started naming them Raging Roosevelt and Roosevelt Rampage and stuff like that. Then I started making DVDs that were multiple years and not just one season. And... Um, and then YouTube hit. You know, I'm always late on everything. <laughs> I came to VHS right before it went out. <laughs> I came to, you know, I was in DVD for a while, and then, then I got into YouTube way late. So, um, hmm. always When you say way late, when did you get into YouTube? We just started putting uh, we stuff We just started, up. yeah. Yeah, a year and a half or two years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what's your YouTube channel? Angry Spike? Angry Spike, Angry Spike yeah. yeah. Okay. And are you putting all your old content on YouTube eventually? So, so I do have it all chopped up, and uh, actually it still sells a little bit. Yeah. You know, we don't make any money on it per se, but these guys, I don't want to steal that of from these guys that have actually purchased it. So I think we'll pull it off there for a little while and then release it on YouTube. Yeah. And you beat us to the punch on the old stuff yeah. with your recent Arizona the, the vintage Bowl. Yeah, the vintage right. stuff. But the yeah. vintage stuff that we have is hard, too, with the quality. Yeah. You know, are you okay putting out average quality? And see, and, yeah. and honestly, the feedback we've gotten, because we just released the first one a week ago, and I think we've got 30-some thousand views on it, which, you know, it's, we, don't, we don't have a huge YouTube following yet either, but all the feedback has been, I love, it's, it's 10 years ago. It right. doesn't seem vintage. Predator camo. Yeah, but I mean, you're looking, <laughs> you're looking at footage that's all low definition. Yeah. It's, I went to YouTube when, the, when, I, when I, my guy who edited it sent me the link on YouTube. I went and clicked on it. I'm like, that's real grainy. I went to the settings. I'm like, where's the HD setting? <laughs> like, 480 is the highest that's it. resolution yeah. I can watch this yeah. in. Yeah. But everybody loves it. They're like, this is this, you know, this is old school. Like, it's yeah. 2008. And it's, it's interesting. Uh, I can go back and watch my hunting from then to now. And, and, and I've adapted. You yeah. know, I've changed my, my, you know, my, my strategies changed a little bit. Yep. I've cut out a lot of the BS. I don't cow call. I don't ever make a cow call. Because that's not my target animal. Yeah. So I bugle and bugle only. So if, you're saying this drawer full of old mini DV tapes I have that I should pull that out and have one of my <laughs> yeah. editors recycle oh, that? Oh, man. Wow. People will tear it up. I yeah. love it. One, one yeah. of the biggest comments I've got is, wow, watching Corey Hunt when he had hair. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it'll be, oh, these are the pre-Lasix yeah. videos. Huh? <laughs> they had Lasix in 2007. So... Yeah. Oh, yeah, huh. I'm watching you like old mountain mimicry stuff. Yeah, because you know, yep. I mean that's what we wear, and you know, Sitka obviously back then kind of brought it to the, the mainstream. And yep, it was it was fun to watch that Arizona hunt. You know, totally. Mm. Yeah, yeah. you see in the old. I mean, I've got a picture that I shot a cougar when I was I think 12, mm -hmm. and uh, posted a picture for Throwback Thursday on Instagram or something. And just to see the change in technology. The pins on my bow, they were all the individual screw, you know, mm -hmm. you move each one, dial it in and out, left and right, up and down individually. The rest was just the old metal prong that sticks yeah. up. Arrows were all the aluminum, you know, Game Getter XX75s yeah. from back in the, you know, that was in the mm. mid-80s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Boy, it's, it's a lot uh, easier now, isn't it? It's just, yeah. We're, you we're can pretty. go buy a package bow today that we would dreamt about oh. 10, oh, 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't even think about paper tuning back then because you couldn't paper tune a bow. They weren't made to, to be yeah. tuned. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So 
that's the YouTube channel. What else you guys got? Instagram, Facebook, we do, yeah. website? Yeah. yeah, all that. Yeah. Angry Spike Productions, uh, Angry Spike on Instagram, yeah. and the uh, Facebook, and which the Facebook is page, yeah. uh, Angry Spike, yeah. Which Facebook is obviously just everything from Instagram yeah. pushed oh, you over just, there. You okay. know, just keep everything connected. And I don't... He's our social media guy. I don't yeah. do a lot okay. of that. I don't post it. You know, I'm not a, a you know, a content is king kind of mindset where yeah. it's just post you know content of everything um you know more than not we just put out stuff when i feel it's fitting and necessary to us yeah yeah um you know whether it's good images to post you know whether it's a short clip of a video or something like that you know the fun stuff i mean i'll post stuff to our our story um but that's that doesn't live anywhere you know for more than 24 hours basically but that's just kind of the hey we're you know at the expo and we're going to meet up with you guys or something yeah um so we're not real, real heavily active in that because that's not our game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, if the social media and everything went away and we still got the elk hunt, I'd be okay with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? No, it's I, just kind of a peripheral fun aspect around the whole deal. Yeah. You know? And it's a good way to interact. Mike Amaker is in charge of social media when we're in the field. I don't know how to do a story. Yeah, right. I was at Sheep Show last week in the booth with Leupold and I had to ask one of their employees to show me how to do a story. They said, well, do a story because you're here. I'm like, here's yeah. my phone. Can you do that? Yeah, well, let me tell you a story, story son. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly how it was it's for back me. in 84. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but, that kind huh. of story. But the website is Angry Spike or Angry Spike Productions. Both will get you there. Yeah, both will get you yeah. there. We okay. actually uh, have both. Yeah, Domains. I bought both URLs yeah. for that. Uh, okay. It'll get you there. And then, and on our website right now, we do have our the all the old DVDs are on there in VHX format, so you can go on there and and download them and watch them. I think we have I have a collective setup of all of them for like nine ninety nine. Yeah. You know, so less than what the cost of one. So old somebody DVD wants was. to get a fix on Roosevelt hunting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they can do that. But you know, if anybody's listening, and you know, eventually we will put that stuff on YouTube. But for right now, if they don't want to wait, they can. Pay nine ninety nine to do that, you know. Yep. Huh. And we should probably just make it free to everybody because nobody likes to pay for hunts anymore. Anyway, so. <laughs> no, that's, I have yeah. a VHX channel also. Yeah. When I first did it, boy, I'm like, man, this is actually working out. Now, I get <clears throat> my reports from how many downloads there are. Yeah. It's like yeah, mm. one a month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> every, every time we go a few weeks with nobody downloading something or buying one, you know, we're like, okay, maybe we should shut it down. Then somebody will inevitably buy that collection, and I'm. Yeah. You know, you don't want to yeah. feel like you almost want to call them up and say, "Hey, I'm going to give you your 9.99 yeah. back because we're going to put this on YouTube. Just wait for a day or two, and you can watch it there." But yeah. um, to your question earlier, though, so I I graduated with Shannon's two younger brothers who are twins. Um, Shannon was a senior when I was a freshman, and our we grew up in the same town. Um, my dad was heavily involved in wrestling in the local area, and so Shannon, being a wrestler all through high school, knew my dad through that. So youth wrestling, we all wrestled together played baseball with his little brothers and mm -hmm. so we've known each other since we were little um when i converted over from bla hunting black powder into archery i was going to go hunt the oregon coast and we were talking at a friend's wedding one day and so i'm going down there anyway so maybe i can come tag along and that was eight you years ago packed or a bull out that same day didn't you yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah cool. haven't got rid of him since yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> stage five clinger <laughs> 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 yeah. Now it's hard to find people that have the same vacation schedule or something like that. You know, I, I'm unique in the fact I get I pretty much take off the entire month of September, so pretty fortunate like that. And Corey's one of the few guys that actually get to enjoy that same 
kind of schedule. Yeah. So. They can hunt all of September and not have to take vacation. Right. right. Yeah, that, right. that guy. Yeah. 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 And I don't compete with his goals. My goal, our goals are the same, but they're different. You know, our goals about hunting elk are very similar, but our goals about what we're looking for are different. So it actually works out very well because, you know, if we set up on a bull and I know it's not one that he's going to shoot, I'm okay shooting a smaller bull. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and I also know exactly what he's looking for. So if it's a scenario where I call in a bull that that I have an opportunity to shoot and I'm looking at it and this thing's 320 inches. I'm going to, I, I will let that bull walk and we will come back and hunt that bull the next day without my bow in my hand with his bow in his hand. So, yeah. you know, I'm not going to take that, that goal away from him, you know, but out of pure selfishness. And sometimes that's a very, very difficult thing to find <laughs> yeah. is guys yeah. who aren't playing as a team. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to kill a bull to be successful. Yeah. You know, for either. sure. But I mean, that tastes good. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll, but you can't kill one. big bulls if you, you shoot little bulls. You can't kill the yep. big ones if you shoot Maybe little Maybe that's why ones. I've never that's shot right. a big one. Then. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I get a little bit too itchy there. Yeah, you got a Trevor Bulls last year you passed on just because yeah. they weren't the right bull. I say passed on. You know, once I realized what they are, I just didn't pursue hunting them. Yeah. So I didn't actually have a shot on a lot of them. Just stopped the pursuit. So, yep. Huh. Um, well, you don't could gotta, I have shot him or not? Maybe, maybe not. You don't got to worry about that with me. If I ever get <laughs> close to a Roosevelt, I don't care if he's just got a polished knob. <laughs> I, and that guy head. may sound as big as, a, as, as any of them. That's right. the weird thing about Rosie's is, is it doesn't matter how big he is. If he is the dominant bull there or he thinks he is, mm -hmm. he will present himself like he's a yeah. monster. Yeah. And oh, he man. will come running right into you. So Yeah. And make no mistake, they are vocal. They yeah. are very vocal bulls. Cool. When you start working one, they will scream at you all the time. Um, and they chuckle a lot more, I think, than the Rocky Mountain bulls is one thing that we've recognized as well. Is those chuckles mean a lot more because you'll hear guys that'll say, don't chuckle, don't chuckle. Well, if all you're hearing is those bulls chuckling at you, real short squeal, and then just hammer you with chuckles, that tells you something. Yeah. Learn from yeah. that. You know, understand what they're you know what they're trying to tell you. Utilize that. That's funny that because almost all of the experienced, successful Roosevelt hunters who archery hunt and call have said they don't even bugle anymore. Mm. They just chuckle. Mm -hmm. Once really? you're in close, yeah. a lot of times that's all you yeah. do. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those sound like more fun every minute. <laughs> you guys got me hooked, man. I'm, I'm yeah. like I'm like a gut hooked perch right yeah, now. We had a rare yeah. opportunity year before last on Shannon's bull. We actually located the bull um, from the edge of a clearing. It was a kind of a younger reprod unit, but he was originally with all of his cows on the backside of a knob in a big stand of timber. And he ended up coming up a ridge and meeting us in this reprod, which sucks to hunt in, but it was exposed. And as we were coming down the ridge, working in on him, we actually had an opportunity to film him a lot through that whole process. And so you could see, you know, Shannon bugle, that bull, you know, lifting his head up, that bull bugling right back and then chuckling lots of chuckles. And as he's working in and he's trying to find us, he's making noises, doing the same thing that we are trying to relocate as we're, we're moving in. And he got into a point where we had stopped to set up. It was one of the only lanes we had. It was only about 20 yards long by maybe 15 yards wide and you know, on a ridge, so it's not very wide. And that bull stops on the backside of these trees and he's just sitting there looking around. Well, he doesn't know exactly where we are. So Shannon just kind of moans, just, yeah. and as soon as he did that, that bull's antler snapped around right to where we're at and he pushed right through the, through the um, furs. And next thing you know, he's standing there at 19 yards and he's looking straight up and he still doesn't even 
recognize that we are there. He's looking for that elk. And as soon as he, he kind of just turns his head to look, and right when that happens on video, that's when Shannon shoots and, you know, quarter two just drills him. But the, it, it was like exactly what we talk about, that whole hunt, but you actually get to see the whole process because locating the bull in the open, watching him working in, the way that he reacts, the way that he stops and chuckles, looking up the hill, trying to find us, was kind of neat to actually be able to put it in, you know, into a big open image yeah. rather than just visualizing it through your mind on yeah. what's happening when he's coming through timber where we never see him until he gets to that 19 yards and stops. Huh. So that was kind of a, a unique, fun opportunity to film that, which was good. And that's, that's yeah. so interesting. I mean, it just made a picture in my mind. We get to see Rocky Mountain elk. Yeah. I mean, if it's Montana and they're out in the open, I mean, you, you just, there's right. areas in North Idaho that are like the Oregon coast and, and thick, but for the most part, a Rocky Mountain elk hunter knows habits, knows everything that an elk does, what it's thinking, its emotion, how it reacts to everything. That's why Roosevelt elk hunting is probably so tough because yeah. you can't see, yes. you can't hear. No. All, all of the things that would help you learn about their behavior is really limited from you. Yeah. Right, being able to, like if I can hear him, I can usually figure out exactly what he's doing. I can hear him coming. And if he stops, then I'll hit him immediately to keep that momentum going. Yep. And mm -hmm. if I can see that, and that's exactly what happened with that bull, is I could see this. So before he had a chance to really, you know, evaluate the environment, I just kept him coming my way. So he, he started to stop, I moaned, and he just kept right on going. So, <laughs> you know, you guys are fortunate in the fact you can see this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But on the flip yeah. side, it's also a, a negative force because they can see us Thank now, you. so we have to watch our right. movement a lot more. Exactly. So there's, there's yeah. definitely benefits both ways, but I think just learning to understand Roosevelt yeah. elk, hunters are at a disadvantage because you don't get to Right, it's a longer them. learning curve, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, and one thing that Shannon said a couple years ago to me that stuck in really, really heavily was that, you know, a lot of these elk are like children. Yeah. You want to keep their attention or they will get disinterested and, and walk. Yep. They will Toddlers. bail out, you know. So yeah. can consistently doing something to make them feel like there is another elk in the area is is beneficial, very beneficial, yeah. you yeah. know, in terms of keeping that momentum moving. Otherwise, he thinks he, you know, that bull's turn and retreated, and he'll go right back to his cows, you know. And sometimes you have to wait for an opportunity of him to get disinterested in order to move into an area where you can then get a shot. And I had to do that a few years ago on a bull that got hung up where I just didn't have a shot. I had to just clam up. And as soon as he turned to walk off, he walked into the one lane that I had to shoot. So sometimes you can utilize that knowledge that they eventually will think that oh, I ran that bull out of here and then turn and go someplace else to your advantage. So, um, you know, there's a lot of little variables <laughs> that go into it. But, you know, somebody who's, you know, gets all nerded out on killing Roosevelt's. It's I've studied them and curve. I've, I've you know, my career is, uh, you know, data analytics, really. So I've, uh -huh. I've collected data. I broke elk hunting down into, you know, where elk like to live and how do I get them to respond and what's the most likely scenario I can get them to come in and, and how do I kill them? So yeah. I broke it down. In order to get more successful, I focus on those little things. Mm -hmm. you know, Create a process. Created a process. Make it so, efficient. Right. So I went to a heavy arrow setup because I'm shooting through brush and whatnot. Um, bugle twice to get an answer. You know, and it's all learned over years and years and years and, and logging that data. And, and, and it's, it, you know, our, our success rate once I get a bull to answer is pretty high. So, yeah. Huh. So it's worked. That's what we always talk to that you'll hear people say they called in 31 bulls but didn't fill their tag. And I'm like, once I get to four bulls, if I haven't drawn back and shot an arrow, 
something's wrong. Right. Like, you, I'm you not doing something, something right. right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, yeah, yeah. I'm the same. Straight I want up. to make the most out of every situation yeah. I have. And if the situation yeah. isn't good, I'll leave that situation and, and go for go look for one that is. Yeah. Yeah. And you probably didn't actually call in 31 bulls. Yeah. You know, they located 31. They heard maybe, 31 bugles. Yeah, they yeah. heard 31 bugles. <laughs> but call them in, you're more than likely going to well, I think calling in is a misconception anyway mm-hmm. because, you know, 95, 98% of the distance ever covered is by me to the elk. Yeah. Yeah. And rarely you get that one that just, for whatever reason, he comes running yeah. 400 yards. But that is rare. That's a unicorn in a dewy meadow. I don't expect that to be the case. I expect me swimming through Salmonberry and uh, Devil's Club yep. to get to him. So uh. that's what how I do it. Well, so I'm going to bring gonna be, a machete, you're, Randy. Yeah, um, I will. This clippers, like seriously, yeah. loppers or something. Yeah, we didn't know that. And like the fifth day we're there, Brent, the guy that we're hunting with, reaching in his back pocket. We're in front. He's behind <laughs> us. We're going through everything. He's back there with clippers. I turn. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, opening the trail. Why are we in front and you have the clippers? Uh, well, yeah. uh, Gerber makes a bunch of those kind of devices. Yeah. So yeah. I, they sent me a bunch of machetes. I'm like, what the hell will I ever use these for? But it sounds like now I, you know. I, I, you now you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Angry Spike Productions is going to get a lot of YouTube views for me over the next <laughs> few months here. I hope yeah. I don't become a nuisance to you guys asking questions in preparation <laughs> for next year. You guys will be, why in the heck did we ever, yeah. <laughs> ever tip this guy? Yeah, well, we didn't enjoy sharing the knowledge and having the conversations. We wouldn't be sitting here, too. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I think you, there's a uh, tug of war with that. You know, do you give out, are you okay giving out too much information? Corey, you and I talked about that yesterday, yeah. you know, or are you, do you just keep it all to yourself? And there's some people who won't give out any yeah. any secrets, but, you know, you still have to get out there and, and do the work. It doesn't right. just happen. Yeah. That's so. what we, we talked. I mean, you look at success yeah. rates at anything that takes a little bit of effort, it's probably going to be about 10%. Yep. You know, you look at entrepreneurs, business, you look at elk hunting, archery elk hunting, uh, all these different things hover about 10%. And I saw a quote that summed it all up and it said, 100% of the population has desires, but only 10% has ambition. Yeah. And it clicked. It's like ambition is putting hard work with your desire. Yeah. And yeah. when it comes to elk hunting, you can share every tip. And I mean, you've shared a couple things with me that's like, mm-hmm. next time I go Roosevelt hunting, I'm doing that and that yep. and that and I will be successful. Yep. But most of the people won't apply it. They either they're right. stubborn, they're stuck in their ways, or they don't yep. want to put in the work to do it. Yep. You can share everything, the exact blueprint and roadmap to be successful, but it still takes work. Yep. And that's, that's yep. where most people, I think, fall off. And if you're yeah. willing to put in the work, Anybody can be successful at anything they want to do. And yeah. how many states, fish and game departments have called you up and said, dang it, Corey, after you launched Elk 101, like our success rate yeah, went from the 8% roof. to 50%. We're going to have know? to shut down Elk yeah, Hunt this uh, year to yeah, save the We're going to buy that business from you so we can shut the website down. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, happen. I don't think no. the success rates have changed at all, you know, because yep. people still have to go out there and do it. And, and a lot of times, many, most of the, the most difficult thing is finding the elk and where we hunt. That That is a very, very big challenge. You can tell them exactly how to kill them, but if they can't go find them, yeah. you know, then they're going to still be the same 0% success if they don't yeah, the, know where the, the success are. rates haven't changed, however, the population of people hunting exactly. has. So you do right. have more animals being taken from what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. certain areas. Right. And right, I think right, overall, right. you know, hunting numbers are down, but for yeah. Roosevelt yeah. For, elk, for archery. there's definitely more yeah. Roosevelt yeah. archery yeah. elk hunters than there were 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And it's, 
a lot of people, and I think some of that is the knowledge that people are starting to gain and they're able to actually see what other people are doing yeah. and they think, oh, now I can go do that. Most new archery hunters are going to want to go where there's a really, really large population of elk and so they run to places like Wyoming or Montana or Colorado yeah. and that's their only experience. And then once they get you know, they get to where they see a ton of elk, they go to the Oregon coast, they get real <laughs> frustrated because they're like, oh, this is nothing like, so then they bail and go back, you know? Yep. Yeah. So, well, a yep. lot of people ask me, what's the best thing I could do to prepare for being a successful elk hunter? I tell them, well, live your whole life for 54 years like I have being below average. Yeah. So the only way you're going to succeed at, at anything is just don't quit. For yep. I, I think too many people, they just got it in their mind it's going to be easy or whatever, and they yeah. quit just yeah. before they're about ready to have success. Yep. And I've never been good at anything, so I, I've never... <laughs> never had I, the luxury of quitting and achieving right. yeah. anything. That, that's the, yeah. I mean, if I ever do have any successes, just because I'm too bullheaded to quit. Right. I, don't, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how, how you teach that. Yep. I, <laughs> but, exactly. Well, guys, awesome. we're, we got... Uh, another podcast right. lined up here, and I'm about ready to wet my diaper. Here, yeah, so. I could sit here and talk Roosevelt all day. Yeah, me so too. I've drank too much coffee and too much water this morning, and <laughs> if it's like yesterday, it'll take me another half hour to go from here to that sign that says restroom <laughs> 20 yards away. So you better run. Uh, yeah, but uh, get your this, fresh tracks getting over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't thank you guys enough, yeah. man. Yeah. I, I'm uh, I, I was just sitting here listening, like this is an eye opener for me. This I hope the audience understands what was just shared here by you guys so generously yeah. to yeah. our audience. It's, yeah, no, thanks for having us on. I mean, yeah, it's, we're real honored to even have an opportunity to sit down with two guys like yourselves that are established as you are in the industry and, and have a conversation like this and recognize that, you know, Roosevelt elk aren't the, they aren't the same. forgotten <laughs> animal that, you know, everybody hates, you know, so yeah, appreciate it. No, yeah. absolutely. And I'm, uh, I'm excited. We're going back this fall for sure. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. We haven't locked in where or when. I think it's going to have to be a little earlier, probably like the 5th through the 12th of September. So we hopefully last year, we didn't even get into any bugling action until the 4th. And yeah. then we had to leave the 5th. And so I think we'll, we'll hit it early, but it'll be better. Hmm. Yeah. So well, I'm excited. Need, need, I'll help you out as much as I can. Uh, the last hour and a half has helped me out tremendously. Yeah, sure. So, sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited. You, you know, the, the great thing about Oregon is you can throw a, a dart at a board yeah. and there's elk there. Yeah. So I don't think you can go to the wrong place. And there's really not hot spots from what I've seen. It's not like they can't. I mean, yeah, if you want to hunt clear cuts, right, but right. I, I want that coastal yeah. experience. Well, we cover about yeah. 200 miles of that coast. Yeah. Wow. Because we have Amazing. areas that we know that we've found elk in in the past. I mean, so that just tells you that they are that scattered out. A lot of times we'll start way, way south on the coast in the early season and we will work our way north as the season goes on. That'd be like me saying, I'm going to hunt between Bozeman and Missoula. Pretty yeah, much. Exactly. It's 210 yeah. miles. Yep. yep. Exactly. I'm <laughs> just going to drive along and yeah. Pick a draw and hike yeah. up at one day. That's crazy. I, yeah. When you said that, I'm like, all right, what would be 200? Okay, <laughs> there, I'm gonna it. I'm gonna hunt all these good spots between Bozeman and Missoula. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, Randy's squirming in his yep, chair, yeah. so right he's right yeah. yeah. to the restroom. But guys, Shannon, Corey, yeah. thanks so yeah. much. Yeah. Thank thanks you so much, appreciate guys. It. Really appreciate it, Randy. folks. Thanks for listening. And uh, until the next time, get your arrow sharp and go hunt some rosies. Right. That's right. <laughs>